this is Susan. And this is Katie. And this is Sometimes Gwen. And welcome (laughs) to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And today I have been so eager for this episode because I absolutely adore our guest. She is so fabulous. So uh, today we are uh, interviewing uh, and listening to Marissa's story. And I will tell you, I met Marissa many years ago through Facebook because we're both adoption mamas and specifically we're both Ethiopia adoption mamas. But I will tell you this, like um, she is an adoption mama to the next level. She is a beast of a woman. And I, like when I watch her, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be her when I grow up because she's amazing. (laughs) She has adopted, I'm not going to tell too much of the story because I want her to share her story, but she has adopted many a child from Ethiopia. And she has adopted deaf children from Ethiopia, which is beautiful to watch them communicate because two years ago, Marissa said it was two years ago. I really thought it was last year. That tells you how I have no concept of time. (laughs) But two years ago, Marissa and I went to DC because we had to meet with parliament of Ethiopia because we're trying to convince parliament to keep adoptions open. And while I was there, I got to meet her face to face because normally adoption friends on Facebook, that's kind of where a lot of it remains is on Facebook and you are, but it's really weird because you feel this bond, even though you've never met face to face. Well, when I saw her, I about hugged her neck right off of her body, (laughs) but watching her sign with her children and communicate with her kids, I just thought she's amazing. And then also we'll talk about this later, but she's also an American Ninja Warrior. I mean, (laughs) I know. And watching her on Instagram and Facebook is the most fun. Some days when I cannot even sleep at night, I just watch her on Instagram because she's like doing all these obstacle courses. And I'm like, how in the world does she do that? I mean, I know. it's amazing. It is so amazing. Yeah. Also, her kids, kiddos are all teenagers yes, or a little are. bit above. Yes, they are. And, and she's so a young heart. 33 years old. It's amazing. It's, she's a beast. Amazing. I love her so much. I know. She's crazy. I cannot wait. Oh, your story, Katie. You are going to love her so much you don't even know. So, Marissa, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so (laughs) thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my goodness, you're such a cutie. And can I also say, um, she has the best makeup ever because if you think about it, she is parenting a million kids. And being an American Ninja Warrior, but I'm telling you, there's never been a time, honestly, that I have seen her on Facebook or Instagram that her makeup is not flawless. Can I just say, I will sit at her feet and learn. (laughs) She's a makeup artist, Susan. Marissa, are you really a makeup artist? I mean, self-taught and I freelance work, but I... Oh, stop. Are you? But she gets paid to do it. I mean, she... Yeah, I know. Oh and, awesome. and a lover and a photographer. And, and she plays the fiddle. Oh, Marissa. I know. <laughs> You're going to have to come to one of our live events. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wouldn't that be so fun? That would be super Marissa, fun. That would be so fabulous. <laughs> I know she needs to I go to I love the violin. I love the fiddle. <laughs> and, she, and she's amazing on that fiddle too. I've seen that on Instagram too. <laughs> That's how I do it. I kind of stalk her on Instagram because she's that fabulous. <laughs> so I'm so excited that our listeners are going to get to hear her story because I think, and not, I don't think, I know that so many of them are going 
God is going to lend them hope and courage in this story. Because when you don't Mm -hmm. think you can do something, man, her story lets you know God can do really anything through us. I mean, really, truly. He is doing so many amazing things. And she's only 33 years old. That, I know. That's so crazy. It's so crazy to me. Okay, so Marissa, I'm going to ask you the first question right out of the box. Because so okay. I, I can stop like yammering and yapping about everything. <laughs> I want you to describe the circumstance that led you, because you were young, you were 13 years old, when you declared to your mom that you knew you were going to adopt kids that were deaf from Africa. So what happened in that process? Tell us a little bit about that story. And then how did your life change after you made that declaration? Yeah, so I grew up as the oldest of seven kids, um, so I've always had a big family, and we didn't know anybody who was adopted. We didn't know anything about adoption. I didn't know anything about ASL. I didn't know any deaf people, um, but I grew up in a very strict Baptist church, and I remember sometimes sitting in service, and it was very long, and my sister and I were really wishing that we could talk to each other, and we were at the library one day, and they were still passing out bookmarks at that time. And it had the alphabet and sign language on it. And I was younger, maybe like nine or 10 at this point. And uh, I remember thinking like, that's so cool. You can talk without making any sound. So she and I learned the alphabet. And then we would try to spell words to each other during church. And then uh, <laughs> I, I forgot to tell Gwen that. that earlier. <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that. Love yeah. That. I mean, yeah, I couldn't. There's too much in my life to summarize everything. But so my mom helped me borrow a book from the library and I was trying to learn some signs, but ASL is a 3D language. Like you really need video or a live person. You can't learn it from a book. Um, So I just, I was interested in it back then, but didn't know anything about it. And then my mom used to have a magazine subscription. And I just remember one day she was like, oh, Marissa, there's this really cool article and it's about an orphanage in Liberia. Um, It's all deaf children there. And so the whole orphanage is deaf. It's really cool. And she was like, do you want to read it? And I remember reading it and just knowing just right then, like, that that was something I was going to do. And I told her, I was like, you know what? I'm going to adopt deaf kids from Africa someday. Um, And she saved that magazine. And that was 1998. So I was 13 years old. That's the year that my oldest son, Levi, was born. Mm. I didn't know it then. (laughs) Um, Wow. So it, it was crazy. And then uh, when I was 16, I was working at Walmart and I met my very first deaf person and it was a little boy. He was about 10. And I just remember him coming in with his mom and she was signing with him and I thought it was so cool. But then at the same time, I realized like nobody else can communicate with this kid. Nobody where I come from signs. And he was just so lonely. So then I was trying to sign with him and like making up signs and acting stuff out like a crazy person. Cause I really wanted to talk to him. I'm sure he was like, who is this weird chick? <laughs> <But> <laughs> he was so cute. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, he needs a friend. And I thought it was really cool. So yeah, that's how it all got started. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, I just can't even imagine. I mean, truly, even as a little girl sitting in the pew with your sister, God was preparing something. I mean, we yeah. can never underestimate the tiny things that happen even as a child when he's preparing us for into adulthood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. That really is. All right. So Gwen said that you're a makeup artist. You are also a fiddle player with mad skills. Can I tell you some of my favorite things watching you do is when you have those fiddle sessions in your living room with your kids. I love that so much. And what I love is I know that they're deaf. But man, they must be able to feel that music. Yeah, we, we were, crank it. <laughs> yes, I love it. And then you were in there just dancing away with them. So you're also a photographer, but you chose to study in college um, sign language. So why? What out of all of those interests you have, why did you land on that one? I really wanted to do music. I wanted to do 
music so badly. Like you don't even understand that. I love the fiddle. I'm the happiest when I'm with my fiddle. Um, and I started, I didn't get to start playing until I was 16. I'm mostly self-taught. And a year after I started playing, I got accepted to Berkeley College of Music, which is a, a really good school. Yeah. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. But I couldn't afford it because it was like $40,000 a year. No room and board, like just tuition was like 40 grand. Mm, and I, wow. I couldn't afford it. So I was like, okay, music's not going to happen right now. And then I really wanted to do cosmetology because I love makeup. I love hair. I love doing all of that. Um, and my parents told me that they did not want me to do that. They were very adamant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they might've threatened to kick me out. They were like, no, you have to go to college. Um, I'm a first generation college student for my family. So they were, they were really pushing that. Um, and so my mom, uh, I think probably in desperation, trying to convince me to go started researching different options and she found a sign language interpreting program. And I didn't even know that could be a job. Wow. Um, and she was like, and it was just a little program in New Hampshire. Like we hardly have any deaf people, but she was like, Oh my goodness. Like you could do this as a job. You've always been interested in this. Um, you know, it looks like as an interpreter, you could freelance, you could work from home. Um, I'd always planned on having kids someday and homeschooling them. And she's like, Oh, you could have a flexible schedule. You could homeschool. So I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Like this sounds interesting. For some reason I thought like before that college was like, you could be like an engineer or like a teacher or an accountant or something like that I'm not good at <laughs> and didn't like. Um, and I never considered that people could get paid to talk. I thought that was cool. So I started, <laughs> it was fun. So I started the program and I fell in love with them immediately. And then I ended up doing two and a half years there. And then I transferred to another school and did the last two and a half years there. And that is that, so you are, I noticed that you sign a lot at concerts. So yes. do they hire you to go and do that? So, the ones that you're seeing, I do get paid to do concerts sometimes. The ones that you're seeing are, um, there's a big Christian music festival here. Yeah. And it's held at an amusement park and they need interpreters. So basically I volunteer my whole life for four days and like prep and prepare for months and do all the artist contact and getting the set list for all of the interpreters and I help coordinate it. And then all my kids get to go in for free the whole four days, oh. ride all the rides. Um, and I get to do all the concerts and then they all get front row seating because they're deaf and... So like they basically have a four day vacation and then it's fun for me too, because I love interpreting. I love music. So it works out great. That is so fun. Yeah. 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 I remember how much fun they were having in some of the videos you put up. They were loving that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One thing also, Gwen, you're going to love this and you may have seen this on, on some of her social media stuff. Your, um, your talents for photography and makeup really shine through with your teenage girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you Absolutely. do them photo shoots all the time. And, but you do their makeup in such unique ways. I mean, like you, oh, on one of them, you put so like beautiful. bright yellow lipstick, which I know does not sound like great, but it was so beautiful. Like if the, you like Mac cosmetics, it sounds fabulous. Yes. <laughs> it's so gorgeous. And I can only imagine you're speaking their love language because you know, teenage yeah. girls, they are probably just, enamored like with my gosh my mom's the coolest it's kind of bad now it's kind of bad because they won't let me take pictures unless they have their makeup done how they want and their hair done and they want like an actual photo shoot like they don't want any more casual photos so I kind of spoiled them like (laughs) I can't get a candid picture anymore (laughs) now do you do their hair too yeah I do that's impressive impressive. I'm gonna jump in here because I am dying to hear how you went over there and started <laughs> these beautiful girls. I just want to hear this. And boys. She has girls and boys. 
kind of sequentially. Like, yeah. okay, so you go to college, you get a degree in sign, and then what? Do you want me to answer that or do you want me to follow the questions? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think answering that would be fabulous. Yeah, I'm dying to hear. Yeah. Um, so, so I transferred to RIT, the Rochester Institute of Technology, which has a fantastic interpreting program. And I was, I was 20 and I turned 21 right when I transferred. And I was in a five-year program. And I had decided I was going to go there. I'd just gotten out of a bad relationship and that I was going to not date anybody, not think about boys, like put them on a back burner and just focus on school and get school done and whatever. I just was not interested in dating anybody. And, uh, and then, so I was 21. And then this very sweet, very shy, very quiet engineering student with long curly brown hair, uh, freshman right 18 asked me out for like a smoothie and I didn't like him I wasn't interested <laughs> and I also wasn't interested in, in dating anybody but I was just like who is this child like asking me out on a date <laughs> <laughs> he knows he knows and um so I wanted to scare him away and I'm also very direct I don't like you know, if you ask me how I'm feeling, like if Abe asks me, are you okay? If I'm not okay, like, I'm just going to tell him, I'm not going to be like, oh no, it's, it's fine. Everything's okay. Like, no, like I'm very direct. And, uh, so he asked me out, this poor kid asked me out for a smoothie. He's like, never had a girlfriend. And I was like, look, like I'm looking for a husband, not a boyfriend. I'm not going to sleep with you. You can't tell me you love me until you give me a ring and you have to learn sign language because I'm adopting deaf kids someday. <laughs> and I was positive. He was just going to walk off and then I wouldn't have to worry about him anymore. And he was like, okay. And then he left. And when he came back, he had signed up for an ASL class. I don't know why he did this. It's not like he knew me. Um, he had signed up for an ASL class. And so he started taking ASL and he took ASL through college and I had to hold up my end of the bargain. So we started dating and we dated for two years and got married when he was 20. And so we've been married for 10 years now. And together oh, <laughs> so that's how that started. And then we that's thought... Sweet. We were like, oh, you know, we'll adopt someday, maybe when we're like 35 or something, you know, we'll, it's, that's something we know we're going to do, but like later, like, because that's the typical age people start going for adoption, like mid thirties, maybe, you know, that's what we thought. We're like, okay, that's, that's fine. We have plenty of time. I was trying to focus on my music career. Um, I was doing some touring. Abe was in college still because he's several years younger than me. So he was in school. And, uh, and then so we'd been married like six months and the whole thing with Haiti happened. Um, they had a terrible, terrible flood in like October of 2009. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. right after in January, they had a huge earthquake. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a team of people that we knew who went down to do like relief work and stuff. And they came back with just pictures and stories and just a bunch of kids that were at an orphanage had actually passed away during mm -hmm. the flooding and the earthquake and mm -hmm. stuff. And I just remember hearing, hearing everything and seeing some of their photos. And I just, I thought I was going to die. Like I couldn't, I couldn't handle that there was helpless people. I'm also a very protector kind of person and mm -hmm. that there was people who needed me and needed other people and they didn't have anybody and that there were kids that didn't have families all of a sudden, like, just like that. And I just, I told Abe, like, we have to start the adoption process now. And we'd been married like six months and um, I was like, we have to do it now. Like we're not, we're not doing enough with our lives. There's more we could be doing. We just need to go for this right now. And he was like, baby, like, we can't do that right now. And I was like, no, we have to do this. So we prayed about it, <laughs> thought about it, um, prayed about it. And then we decided we were going to go ahead and do it. And we started 
we started trying to find an adoption agency that would take us. Most people um, turned us down like the first first few words we said to them. They were like, your children, you have no money, you're in school, you just got married, like you can't do this. Um, and then we found an agency that was willing to work with us and we worked with them for a few months, decided that wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, and then we transferred to another agency and started the process with Ethiopia because Ethiopia, we didn't care where our kids were from. Um, but we were like, we want to adopt deaf kids because we know that deaf kids are probably the last kids to get adopted in most cases. And, um, we're like, okay, we'll do Ethiopia because they had no parental age requirement. So we passed that one by a hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to wait for me to turn 25 to submit our immigration paperwork in the U S apparently they've never had anybody younger than that try. So we had to wait and wait and wait until I turned 25 because only one parent has to be 25. And then we were like <laughs> submitting all that information. And, uh, and so we started the process for Ethiopia and our age range was zero to five. So we thought we were getting little kids and we were like, Ooh, five is like really big. Like that's, that's an older child. That's so scary. And we ended up getting all teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so how long from, all right. So you didn't adopt them all at one time. No. So who, um, how, who did you adopt first and then how did it progress? Um, it's complicated. Levi and Micah. So I have, I have six kids. So I found Levi and Micah first. Okay. Um, and they were, the plan was originally for them to come home together. Um, and we were fighting for them and we were told both of them were unadoptable, um, for paperwork reasons, because they were deaf, because they were older, because of abuse, trauma, behavior issues, all sorts of stuff. They were like, these, these children cannot be adopted. Um, isn't it amazing how, uh, cause we were told that about our three, they're not adoptable. They're not adoptable. And what I do love is that God can move past paperwork. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. Um, so we, I hadn't seen their faces. I didn't know what they looked like and didn't know how old they were. Nothing. That's a whole complicated story in itself, but I just knew that they were my kids. And then, um, our agency ended up dropping Micah about six months in, um, dropped all his paperwork. They said this one, definitely a hundred percent, no way ever. And then we found out that Levi had a biological sister, which is Zaria. So we ended up, mm-hmm. and we were only, they would not approve us for more than two kids either. And we were like, well, now Levi has a bio sister. Like, what are we going to do? So we went ahead with Levi and Zaria um, and we didn't know what to do about the Micah situation. So Levi and Zaria came home first. Um, we literally left the orphanage. When we left the orphanage with them, we got contacted about Natalie. She showed up um, less than a month later. <laughs> and then we ended up going back for Natalie. And then Olivia came to us and then Haven and then Micah. So they all came at different times. They all came about a year and a half apart. And um, Micah was the last one to come home. He just came home last year in yeah. April. Yeah. So. When was the first time that you saw Micah? Did you see him when you picked up Levi and Zaria? Yeah. So we found him in 2011. So he had been in orphanages since he was a year old. Um, he's he's the only one of my kids who's completely institutionalized. Um, and we didn't know, like, we found him in 2011. So he was about six then. Um, and we were trying to do his paperwork. And then... Um, when we went for Levi and Zaria, um, they take you on these orphanage, I don't want to say tours, but they take you to visit different orphanages. You can see, um, other places and other kids and whatever. And I, 
I had done a lot of research, made a lot of contacts, like knew he was in the area. So I was begging to go to like very specific orphanages and they were like, oh, we don't typically go to that one. And I was like, no, we have to go to this one. (laughs) Um, So I convinced somebody to take me. We went and then I was, all I was doing was running around um, asking them, I can, I can speak then it was very little Amharic. Now I can speak much more, but I was, kept asking them in Amharic, like deaf child, deaf child, deaf child. And they were like, oh yeah, we have this deaf child. And so they brought him out to me. And I just knew the second I saw him, I knew that it was him. And I just started bawling. I'm sure he thought I was completely crazy. Like, um, and so this is, this is when we were there for Levi and Zara, he would have been eight now. So we found him, we found out about him when he was six. We're trying to fight for him for two years. First time we saw him was when he was eight. I started crying the second I saw him like a crazy person because I was just like, that's my child. Like, um, and he had, he had also just been moved from another orphanage. So he was, he was a mess anyway, cause he got bounced around a lot. So he didn't, he's deaf. Nobody could tell him what was happening, where he was going, you know, why strange people were looking at him and he was just hiding in a corner and like crying his eyes out. And, um, we, I refused to go on the rest of the, the visiting everywhere. Um, I just sat down and stayed there. Me and my husband and Levi and Zaria, we sat down for like two hours and just sat with him while he cried and cried and cried and sat and sat and sat until he would finally look at us. And then we were trying to like throw a ball back and forth with him. And then we didn't see him again for almost two years. And then it was when we were back for Natalie. The first thing we did when we were there for court for Natalie was go back to his orphanage Mm -hmm. and see him and hang out with him. And at that point, then he was kind of like a little statue. Like um, they let us sit with him and he wouldn't look at us. He wouldn't move. He didn't even look like he was breathing. He was just like a complete statue. And we gave him some toys and different stuff and he wouldn't touch it. And um, I just remember the first time that he smiled, we weren't allowed to take pictures or anything either, but I managed to snag a few. And uh, he Levi had a watch on and we just couldn't get him to interact with us. And Levi took his watch off and gave it to him. And I just remember he looked at Levi and he just had like the tiniest, tiniest like smile. And um, I just, I just remember that so clearly. Like (laughs) that was the first time that he ever, we ever saw him like smile or, or look like he was remotely happy. So then I kept visiting him. Um, We were trying to teach him a few signs, but we weren't really there. It's not like he could practice them or like have anybody else to use them with. And then we didn't see so, him. So how old more. was he? How old was he then? When we went back for Natalie, he must have been ten. Nine or ten, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe about so, ten. So just imagine this, Susan and Katie, that here is this ten-year-old deaf boy who has no means of communication. And he's ten years old. That's yeah. ten years of silence. Yeah. Ten years of 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 where is your community? Yeah. How do you tell people this is who I am and 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 to be known? Nobody knows him. Yeah. Yeah. But even it's even it's even harder than that. I mean, besides mm-hmm. just that, like they can't tell like when they're hurt or if they're sick, they can't tell you what's wrong with them and they can't tell you if somebody's abusing them or if they're lonely yes. or if they had a bad dream. Like they can't explain anything they don't know what's going on they get taken put in a car they don't know they're leaving everyone for the last time and then they get put somewhere else with a whole new group of people who can't talk to them like this has happened to four of my kids like you know so they don't have a clue even about sign language because they've never been taught right so how when you became their mom how did you go through the process of teaching them sign language because that really is a whole I mean I would imagine 
the challenges of a deaf child with even great support are hard, but you have children that had no support and now you've got to start from the beginning. So how, how did that go and what did you do to make that happen? Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because deaf people are very visual and very good with body language. And so it was actually easier for me to figure out how to communicate with my deaf kids than it was for me to originally communicate with Zaria who's hearing because she's only ever done auditory based communication at that point. Mm. So she didn't know English. I didn't know Amharic. We're stuck. ASL, Um, you know, he didn't know ASL, but I could act out a lot of stuff or I could show stuff like something I would constantly show with Micah. Every time I went to Ethiopia seven times for Micah. Um, and every single time I went, I would tell him, I would point to him and say, you, and then I would hold up this finger. So this is indexing him. So he understood that. And I'd be like me, I'd be like here, then I bring them together. And then I would say, you know, whatever, we're going to go to sleep. We're going to wake up. Like I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave like far, 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 far. And then I said, I'm coming back. And then I would say, I promise, I promise, I promise. Even though I know he didn't understand what that means, like I'll be back together. So I would mm-hmm. try to visually figure out ways to show him like with gestures and body language. And I would draw it. I would draw an airplane with me flying away and then I'd draw one coming back. So I always told him like, we're, we're coming back. And I would, I would, I would go like this, like we're, we're connected. Like we're not, you know, we're not like this. We're like this. And with like big head nods to kind of like show him um, to, to get the point across. And um, so I actually ended up teaching Zaria to sign before she learned to speak because one, it was easier. And then two, there was three of us that had a common language at that point, like she and Levi and I and Abe, you know, all had one language instead of trying to teach her two whole new languages at the same time. We just went with ASL first and then taught her English as her third language. So there's ways, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways that I was able to make myself clear. And I tried to show him some signs, um, but it's not, you know, to to gain a language, you have to have immersion. Mm-hmm. You have to be exposed and he couldn't be at that point. So, you know, but I just made it very clear, like I'm coming back for you. And every time I would leave, I would tell him, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And then it was, it was pretty much kind of like every two years or so um, that I was able to, to go back. And um, he, he's just amazing. He's so, so smart. There's, um, I remember one time when I was visiting him, I brought, I brought a lot of picture books and like left him a lot of books and a lot of drawing material and stuff. So he could like draw pictures. And, um, there was a book with like, when you open it, it has little cardboard flaps. So on the page, there's like another little thing, mm-hmm. you open it, see another picture under it. So we went through the book and it was like an ABC kind of book. So it had like an apple and then the next page had a banana or whatever. And, um, we went through the book like twice and I was showing him the signs and then I tested him on the signs and he, he memorized them all so fast. And so then he took the book and he closed it and then he opened it as the first page and he was like, what's on the page? And I said, Oh, it's an apple. And he said, what's under the cardboard picture? And I was like, I don't remember. And he goes, it's a, it's a boat with a bird on it or something. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I opened it up and it was. And so he went to the second page. He goes, what's under the picture? And I was like, buddy, I don't know. He had memorized everything that was under the picture too. Like I hadn't even paid attention to that. And he had memorized. So even without looking, he already knew 26 pictures under the pictures. Like it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's a genius too, because he had a, I went one time when I went there, he had electricity in his room. There's just like all these weird wires and there was one little light bulb and all the kids were in his room. And I asked him, like, or I asked the other kids, I asked them, like, how do you guys have electricity in here? Like, nobody else has electricity. And they said, oh, Micah did it. 
Uh, he's really good with electronics and he wired electricity in here. So he had electricity in his room oh at 11. <laughs> and I'm still constantly telling him not to cut wires in my wall. <laughs> well, and I will tell you this. I've noticed that he really has picked up, I mean, I don't know about more than your other kids, but it seems like he's picked up the whole American Ninja Warrior thing so fast he's so good yeah he yes, makes me he mad is. he doesn't even try like stuff that i work like two months on he gets in like two tries it's it's terrible i mean it's watching embarrassing. Him, <laughs> you know, watching him run up that wall or jump the different obstacle courses i'm like oh my word he's learned that like that yeah he's very it's so funny because when we used to when i used to go do stuff with him we'd play soccer and he would climb stuff and do push-ups and little pull-ups and like try to show me all his muscles and i wasn't doing ninja yet at that point but when we came home i was like oh i know where you're gonna want to be and he's, <laughs> he just started doing competitions and stuff with me and he got third place at one recently against some really really tough competitors he got third and i got 12th so i was the only girl though okay but he got third <laughs> that is impressive it is i know <laughs> now i know um i know personally that adoption is freakishly expensive i mean yes. for my three it was crazy you have six so tell me what kind of process did you have to go through of fundraising like how did you afford to adopt six kiddos? Sure. For Levi and Zaria, we did, let me, I'll just say them in general. So we did, I started working two full-time jobs, which I know not everybody can do that. So that's not always an option, but um, we didn't have any children yet. And I was like, this is what we have to do. So I worked from two or three in the morning till 10 at night. And I did that seven days a week. And I just did that for years. Um, so we also sold all of our music equipment um, I sold mm-hmm. a bunch of my instruments that I had. I had, I play, wow. I play a couple other instruments. And so I sold all of those, sold a couple of my fiddles. Um, I sold a bunch of my camera equipment. Um, we took out my 401k. Part of that was, part of that was because Micah's process was eight years. So we paid an obscene amount of money trying to get him out. Um, but I took out my 401k. Because you kept having to pay the money to redo your home study every time, didn't you? Yeah, not only that, but all the paperwork, they continuously dropped it. So it even got dropped even two years, two years before he came home. Everything got dropped, the entire thing again. And we had to start from scratch with a new agency. And Oh, my heavens. It was a mess. Yeah. And then we were paying $500 a month just to keep him in the orphanage besides all of the adoption costs. So 401k, we sold all our stuff. I was working uh, two whole jobs. I also, I do art. So I set up an online art store and sold a bunch of art. Um we had a couple donations for Levi and Zaria's. Um, my grandpa's church gave us a donation that covered our first home study. And then we had an anonymous donation, um, actually, which was amazing. We needed money for the dossier because that was our first adoption and we were we were so young and we didn't have anything ready. And um, we it was due and we we weren't stressed about it. I've I've always felt like I've always known like this is what we're supposed to be doing, so this is what we're doing, so it's gonna work out. Like I'm not worried about it. And uh, we got a anonymous check for $10,000 for their adoption. So that was crazy. So that paid for a huge part of it because for, it was, it was so expensive. And then we also did fundraising for Micah's adoption at the end, um, at the very end. And we took out two loans during the process. One loan was for Micah and then we did a little loan for Natalie. Um, and then every, but everything else we did so yeah, it was. It's a Marissa, lot. Of you are a hard worker. I mean, you really. She your work, is. Your work ethic is intense and beautiful, and 
you you fought hard for those kiddos. It's getting me emotional just to think about it. But I, I mean, to sell everything that you even love, to take two full-time jobs, they have no sleep. Um, it reminds me of the saying where um, you work as if it depends on you, but then you trust if it depends on God. Yes. And you were working your butt off to make that happen. And I... I just think that is the most beautiful thing. And yet saying. at the same time, not anxious about it because you yes. knew it was something God was calling you to do. We've seen, we've seen so many miracles with that, especially like I would say Levi and Zari's adoption was a little bit harder because it was our, our first one as far as like, we we're like, wow, this is a lot of money or wow. Like this is really hard and we don't know what we're doing, but we, we just saw so many miracles and so many things happen that we were told are impossible, impossible. And then it was like, oh, this is really no big deal because God's got this. Like, it's fine. We, we're like 100% sure we're supposed to do this. So it's fine. Like, uh, mm-hmm. one of my kids, one of my kids, um, you know, I didn't even ask my husband. I just accepted a, a referral for this child and then <laughs> called him and was like, um, we're, we're having a 16-year-old daughter coming home now. <laughs> and he was like... <laughs> Oh, okay. I do love that though, because I love how God has matched you and your husband so uniquely. I mean, the fact that he went and took an ASL class right there Mm. just shows God's hand in everything. I mean, truly, I just love that. I just love that so much. And even that your mom and dad said, uh, no, I don't think that you should go to cosmetology school, but how about this instead? How about <laughs> signing? Like, what? Yeah, I love it so much. Your family is so beautiful, Marissa. It really is. It's just so beautiful. And I, um, I just look, watching you raise those kiddos, I know that they are just as much a gift to you as you are to them. And that I, they, they light you up and you can tell that they are just your pride and joy. And it's so beautiful to watch. Oh, I'm getting caught up in, I know we've got other questions. I'm sitting here marveling in it. It's so beautiful. All right. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about American Ninja Warrior, how you got started with that, because, uh, it really, it is not, you've not done this your whole life. No. Yeah. Um, I, I was always super, super heavy growing up and I couldn't lose weight. I have a lot of medical issues too, but I just could not lose weight no matter what I did. And I tried every diet in the history of the world. Um, and then eventually three years ago, maybe it's close to four now, I found bodybuilding, um, which I had never considered before. But so I started training with a bodybuilder and I realized like, that it was amazing. And I lost a ton of weight. Looked The best I'd ever looked was not starving myself as I had been trying to do before. So I was really good at it. I grew up on a farm too. So I've always done a lot of physical hard work, but I was always really heavy. And um, so I was doing weightlifting and all this stuff and I really liked it. And then we've always liked the show American Ninja Warrior, but never once have I ever considered, like I was the kid in PE who could barely like hang from the bar, much less do a pull up. Like there was no, there was no kidding myself about what I was going to be able to do. But we were watching American Ninja Warrior a couple of years ago. And Zaria was like, mommy, you should do that. And she was like, you're, you're so strong. You should do that. And I was like, that's so sweet of you. Like, thanks for thinking that, but like, no, it's never happening. And, um, Ironically enough, shortly after a gym opened here, a training center, which there's not that many of them, and one opened like 10 minutes from my house. So I brought Levi and one of his friends so that they could like hang out and check it out. And I started playing around on the obstacles. And then I was like, I love this. Like, it's super cool. 
it makes you feel super cool and super strong. And it's just, it's really fun. It's super addictive. I don't think it loves me as much as I love it. Like I'm (laughs) I'm constantly (laughs) ripping and uh, (laughs) getting hurt, but it's so fun. And so I started, I started going, I went like one or two more times. And then the owner uh, was like, you know what? I have this competition coming up in a couple of weeks. I want you to run in it. And he's like, it's for our national ninja league. Like it's a, it's a qualifier. Like I want you to try to run in it. So I did, I did well for my first time. And then I was just hooked. So I started doing that. And then uh, I applied for the show, the TV show. Um, I applied for the TV show right after that, but didn't, didn't get chosen. And then I applied um, last year and they did call me, which was like the most exciting thing for me ever, because I would never think that as a little kid who looked in a mirror and cried at her reflection every morning that I was going to get picked for an athletic show on television. <laughs> so it was really fun. And I, I got love to go. That. Yeah. And it was, it was super exciting and a ton of fun and the kids all went and then they were super excited. And so I hope they, I'm applying again in December and I hope they. Are you really? Back. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't hit a buzzer. Like I'm going back. I'm not done yet. <laughs> That's some business. Love, love, love that. And I, I just love that you shared that you were, you weren't raised like that. It didn't come naturally to you, but you could do it. It part of what we love about this podcast is the idea that maybe hearing other people's stories can give hope and courage to other women. And I need to tell you. Listening to just that little part from you has given me hope. I mean, obviously, I'm 61. I'm not going to be a ninja warrior. But <laughs> when I was reading that you were a ninja warrior, I'm like, oh, she's one of those super athletic, uh, you know, gals and just loves to work out and la, la, la. I mean, you know, you just assume that. But listening to you just today... My my older son is here and my and my daughter um, visiting and I was talking to them about when I'm done with this cancer journey and I said guys I have lost all my muscle I feel like they've atrophied because I lay around so much I feel so crummy and I said I need to do something when I am done with this cancer journey to get muscles again to get in shape, to get some energy back, to get some health. And they're so willing to help me, but there's this doubt in me. There's this feeling in me like, really, Katie, you're kind of old. You're going to be exhausted. But hearing your story, just that little part about Ninja Warrior, <laughs> I'm like, you can do this, Katie. You can do this. And so I think we should say that to all our listeners. Mm-hmm. If God can motivate you and equip you to do amazing things, I mean, way amazing adopting six deaf teenagers and raising them so beautifully, but then even just this ninja thing, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you can totally do it. <laughs> I know you can. I want, I want to follow you on Instagram and see pictures and videos. <laughs> but you know, I think it's true, Katie. I think it is true is that I think sometimes we underestimate what we're able to do. And I think we underestimate what God's able to do through us. And the one thing I love um, in knowing Marissa uh, for these last many years is that I love that she truly believes she can do anything. 
Like she believes, all right, this is, this is what's in front of me. I'll do it. And I, Marissa, I love that about you because it inspires me. It inspires me that you're able to do such, I mean, truly you're able to do hard things. And sometimes we don't believe we can do hard things. You don't just swallow other people's nose. I love that you (laughs) have pursuing. I don't think think my parents loved that growing up though. I think it shows great. I think it shows an incredible amount of faith. No, this is my child, and I don't care who says he's unadoptable, and I don't care how many times they drop the paperwork and how much money it costs. That is my child. I will bring him home. Amen. I admire that above and beyond. Because how many of us, really, someone tells us, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. We go, okay, and we just walk away. Yeah. Um, to have that kind of faith and that kind of confidence of, no, this is something I'm not walking away from. And then to have the beauty of that relationship with that special young man. I, I just love it. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Yeah, I love it too. I do too. All right. So Marissa, we have one final question for you. Okay. What is the one thing that you want us to remember? That there isn't anything too big for God. There is no circumstance. There's no finance. There's no paperwork. There, there's nothing. There's no problem. We've just, I've seen it over and over again. And I was told my kids were going to come home and not be able to learn sign that they weren't going to be able to do school. Nothing. They're amazing. It doesn't mean they don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that, you know, really adoption when you, when they come home is really just when it starts. It's a whole, a whole nother ball game. But, um, I think if you're, if you're being called to something like you guys were just talking about, you need to just do it. Like if it's something Jesus would do, then there's no question about it. I think a lot of people just wait around and they want everything laid out and they're like, Oh, well I'd adopt if I had $60,000. Like, yeah, I'd love to. I've always thought about that, but you need to actually do it. If that's what you're being called to, then you just need to take it step by step because God doesn't show us the whole plan. We don't know why stuff is happening, but he's bigger than all of it. I don't know why Micah couldn't have come home. Originally, I didn't know why he couldn't have come home when he was younger um, and saved him so much pain and saved us so much pain. But then, you know, I wouldn't have several of my other kids because of all the circumstances that led to whatever. So really, it was everything falling into place for the better. Um, And it's just it's bigger than anything we can imagine. And it's way more beautiful. So there's nothing that's too big for God. And we should just you should just go. You should just do it. Marissa, I love that. I I love it so much. And I am telling you, I am 1 million percent serious. You need to come to one of our live events and play your fiddle. (laughs) She lives close to Niagara Falls. Okay, there we go. I I need to do a road trip. I know. I know. We do these things called storytelling stopovers where we go around to different places and do live events. So we are coming to you and we're going to get you to play that fiddle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Only if I can climb something too. (laughs) Yes, there we go. (laughs) That would be great. I know. It would be so good. Marissa, we love you so much. I love you guys. You're awesome. You are a gem. You are a gem. And I know that... Uh, the women and some men that listen to this, it really is going to be inspiring that their wildest dreams that God has put in their heart, they can happen. They can happen that we can do hard things and watch God work. And yeah, you're an inspiration, my friend. A total inspiration and absolute joy and delight. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so much. And to make up 
tips too. Let's not just slide over. <laughs> okay, so see, here's here was hair. my real. I'm well, need a lot of help with hair too. Let me tell you, Katie, my motivation <laughs> behind her coming to do the fiddle was also that she could make us look really, really good. <laughs> she could do our makeup. Anyway. I know it would be so fabulous. <laughs> Could totally have a makeup party. And I'll bring my three and oh my goodness, they could have a blast together. That's right. Well, Marissa, thank you for being with us, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we love you loads. And um we do. Here's one thing I will say that we've been saying the last couple of times, and I just want to say it as a reminder. If you know someone um, that you are friends with that is in your circle of influence that you know right now is on a, on a line of, should I do this? Is God equipping you to do this? Do I have the finances for this? Um, this is the story they need to hear, that God can do amazing things through his people. And so text this episode to a friend that needs to hear that. Because sometimes we just need permission to say, God can use me in a way that seems not natural. And that's okay because he's supernatural and he can do things through us. So if you have a friend uh, that needs to hear this, text it to them because we love it when you do that, because we believe stories change lives. And we yes. know Marissa's story is going to change and inspire many, many lives. So, And, and Marissa, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah. On social um, media. Yeah. Yeah. Probably Instagram. You've got two of those too. What, do you want to give both of them? Um, no, just the ninja one. The other one is oh, okay. So it's it's. I'm gonna put it on the um, Insta or all of our social medias. It's J E N G A underscore N I N J A. Is that um, the right one? It's it's an Amharic word. It's J E G N A. Oh, okay. Oh J-E-G. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 J E G N A underscore ninja. Yeah, Jigna Ninja. All right, perfect. All right, we'll put all of that on the social media so everybody can, can see that. All right, my friend. Well, you have a fabulous day with your kiddos and your hubby. Hey, thank you. Love you guys. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.